This program features interviews with respected healthcare industry experts on current topics of substantial national importance. Your host for the program is David Intricasso, a DC-based healthcare policy analyst and researcher. We invite you to comment on the program by visiting thehealthcarepolicypodcast.com. Now, here's David. Welcome to the Healthcare Policy Podcast. Again, I'm the host, David Intracasso. Joining me to discuss, hopefully both, how the Congressional Republican majority may respond to a Supreme Court decision in favor of the plaintiff in the David King versus Sylvia Burwell case, and healthcare reform as a Republican Party 2016 presidential campaign issue, is Tevi Troy. Tevi is president of the American Health Policy Institute, adjunct fellow at the Hudson Institute, and a former DHHS deputy secretary under George W. Bush. Tevi, welcome. Thank you for joining me. Thanks for having me. I really do appreciate it. Briefly on background, the Supreme Court before it recesses in early July will rule on the closely watched King versus Burrell case in which the plaintiffs argue the ACA only allows for subsidies via state-run exchanges, or only those exchanges or marketplaces as the ACA notes, quote-unquote, established by the state. Since only 16 states and D.C. have set up their own exchanges, a ruling in favor of the plaintiffs could cause an estimated 5 to 8 million newly insured to lose their coverage since they would likely be unable to afford their premiums less their tax credit subsidies. The program would be compounded, or the problem, excuse me, would be compounded by the destabilizing effect of exchange participation, participating insurers having to still cover all marketplace applicants with pre-existing conditions. If the Supreme Court rules in favor of the HHS Secretary, the Defendant of the United States, the debate over the ACA or federal health care reform likely becomes a 2016 presidential campaign issue for the Republicans. So with all that, again, with me to discuss either eventuality is Tevi Troy. So let's start, Tevi. Assuming the court rules in favor of King, again, only state-established exchanges or marketplaces can offer credits, what does the Republican-controlled Congress do? Well, it's an interesting question, and right now it's, uh, the court appears to be very closely divided, so I'm not going to make a prediction as to what's going to happen. I, I tried that the uh, last time the court looked at the, at the ACA, and it seemed like the, the entire country got it wrong. Nobody predicted the outcome that we ended up with. So it is best to try and come up with the different scenarios, what happens in each one. It is interesting to note that while the House Republicans and the Congressional Republicans, the Senate Republicans, Congressional Republicans in general, are looking at different options, the administration is claiming that they're not looking at any alternative, which strikes me as absurd. I worked in the Bush administration, as you noticed, as you noted, and we looked at every scenario before we went into something to figure out what the different eventualities would be. And uh, I know it's nice to be confident and say, oh, we've got the law on our side, which they, they appear they do, although they may have the law on their side. They may not have the text of the uh, Affordable Care Act on their side. But you, it is irresponsible governing not to look at the various eventualities. And for that reason, the Republicans are looking at a number of different scenarios. I also want to say one other point about King versus Burwell, they, they always talk about how many people would lose subsidies. You mentioned that 5 to 8 million numbers. But uh, there's also a very different and interesting way looking at it that Doug Holtz Eakin, who is uh, head of the American Action Forum, has said, which is the people who would benefit from a decision in favor of the plaintiff in King versus Burwell. And that is the uh, 11 million people who would be exempt 
from the individual mandate with potentially facing a $1,200 penalty. By being exempt from the individual mandate, they have more and freer options in terms of where they can purchase their health care and they can enroll in lower cost plans. Also, the employer mandate would cease to be operative in those areas, in, in many of those, those areas where the, the subsidies no longer existed. And that means that employers could provide potentially more hours for part-time workers of uh, about 3.3 million part-time uh, workers. Um, 237,000 new jobs could potentially be created. And these people could see pay hikes almost up to, of up to $1,000. So there are advantages and benefits to it. That said, there will still be this issue of what to do with the people who no longer have subsidies who are getting them beforehand. And the Republicans are looking at a variety of options in both the House and the Senate. Uh, in, in many cases, you might say there are too many options because the Republicans have yet to coalesce on one. I would put them in a number of buckets. Uh, bucket number one is let's just extend the subsidies for some kind of short-term period and then we'll figure it out from there until after the, the 2016 election. And that's Ron Johnson's, the senator from Wisconsin's idea, basically. Johnson's talking about that. Um, ben Sass's idea is somewhat similar to that, Senator Sass from Nebraska. Another bucket is some kind of trade where you would extend the subsidies in exchange for loosening the regulations and requirements under the Affordable Care Act. Um, there's an interesting pr proposal by uh, Senator Cassidy, which is sort of a, um, a portability approach. You know, for many years, uh, conservatives have talked in education about having portability in Title I dollars, have the dollar follow the student. Senator Cassidy's idea would be to have the dollars follow the patient, meaning each individual would get the amount that they would get in subsidy as an individual HSA or grant so that they could then use that to purchase health care on their own. So Republicans are looking at a number of different alternatives. And then there are those who just say, well, let's do our own ACA alternative, meaning a, a um, get rid of ACA and put something else in place. I don't think that is realistic in the time frame we're talking about. We need something uh, to to deal with the short-term problem that would be created by a win for the, the plaintiffs in King for Spurwell. And so I don't think that's the time to talk necessarily about a, a full replacement of, of the ACA. Do you think the most likely general uh, approach would be to some extent, and this picks up on your uh, bucket one and two, to somehow extend, um, however, to whatever extent the benefits through the next, uh, this upcoming election, and then have the Congress in 2016 take this up with a new president? Um, it is a likely scenario. It, it seems to me that Republicans are going to want something in exchange for extending the ACA subsidies. And whatever it is they want is probably more than President Obama is willing to grant. Uh, in a normal environment, you would have already conversation between the Republicans and the White House about what to do going forward and how to handle this and what the administration would be willing to give up or sacrifice in exchange for getting the extension of the subsidies they want. Uh, in this relatively dysfunctional environment, that is not happening. In fact, I've talked to senior aides on the Hill and said, well, why don't you feel out the White House and ask them what, what the White House is willing to give up on this. They said, who would we talk to? Nobody in the White House talks to us, and they don't talk to the Democrats either on the Hill. And in fact, I just read this book, The Stranger, by Chuck Todd, and Chuck Todd quotes um, former chief of staff Bill Daley. And Daley said that he never met a group of people more disdainful of Congress than the Obama White House aides that he worked with. And he said, and many of them came from the Hill. So th there is this uh, unwillingness to work with the Hill that I think is going to make it hard to sort this out. What I fear is going to happen, and what I think perhaps is the most likely scenario, is the Obama administration 
does not come forward with a legislative proposal or just says, well, fix the four words that are broken in the law and then does nothing else except for bringing out um, patients who don't have their subsidies anymore and trotting them out as a weekly or even a daily press conference saying those mean Republicans won't get the subsidies. That will only anger the Republicans more and um, push them to demand more and more in exchange for making the trade the Obama administration wants. And we will just have this uh, period of chaos for 18 months, which I think would be the most unfortunate scenario. Um, so for clarification, no conversation currently between congressional Republicans and the White House. Are you aware of any conversation between congressional Republicans and congressional Democrats? Uh, that, that is a good question. Um, I, I don't want to say no conversation with the White House because I can't say that with certainty. With it right. seems to me that there's no conversation. Right. It also appears to me that there are no conversations that okay. I'm aware of with the, the Democrats in, in, in the House and the Republicans. Um, I, I think the Democratic strategy is, appears likely to be Let's inflict pain on the Republicans. Let's blame them for taking away the subsidies, even though this is not an RNC lawsuit. It's not a John Boehner lawsuit. It's not a Mitch McConnell lawsuit. Uh, there are a couple of guys in think tanks who came up with this idea, and they're pursuing it. Uh, but, but in any event, it seems to me that the, the blame game is going to, going to be rampant in the days after King vs. Burwell. Okay, thank you. So let's then go on to assuming the court, uh, regardless, rather, of what the court does, does this, let me ask first, does this debate about the ACA continue because um, if the court rules in favor of the defendant, the United States effectively, the issue of the laws constitutionally is largely settled. So um, we move then to uh, the presidential campaign. Will the debate again of the ACA uh, continue for the Republican candidates? Regardless of what happens in the King case, the issue of the Affordable Care Act and the controversy around it is not going away. It is going to be a 2016 issue. If King case gets ruled in favor of the plaintiffs, you will have a more immediate problem and challenge that will lead to potential legislative action. Um, if King is ruled in favor of the defendants, you won't have this immediate and urgent problem to deal with. You probably won't see much congressional action, but you will still see a lot of discussion about it in 2016. And regardless of what happens on the constitutionality question, there is the policy question of whether this is a good and effective law or not. And one of the reasons that the King versus, uh, the, the ACA issue is not going away as a political issue is the way in which the law was passed, which was a, uh, a unipartisan way. It was passed with the votes of only one party. And in doing so, in contrast to just about any other important piece of social welfare that's ever passed in this country, the American people did not swallow this law and move on. So let's say Medicare, Medicaid, perhaps controversial at the time, but it had a bipartisan final vote, and then the American people said, okay, that's the new law, we're going to move on. Um, that has not happened in this case. The, uh, the polls consistently show uh, that a, a plurality, if not a majority, of people are opposed to the law, and uh, that's one of the reasons Republicans keep making a big deal about it. I am looking forward to the 2016 race in terms of hopefully it will provide some clarity on the Republican alternatives to the ACA. Um, I hear this all the time from journalists. People say to me, oh, well, the Republicans don't have an alternative. They, they don't like the ACA, but they don't have something to replace it with. That is completely false. Republicans have many things that they want to replace it with, and they have a whole panoply of options and alternatives. What they don't have, and they have not had since 2009, is a standard bearer. And somebody who stands up for the party and says, this is our position, this is where we stand. Uh, Mitt Romney, 
was briefly the standard bearer in 2012, but he, uh, for a variety of reasons, wasn't really talking about health care in the, in the short period between his getting the nomination and his defeat. So Republicans do have multiple plans. Uh, I would say there are a couple of buckets that um, all of the plans fall into. There are important differences among the plans, but all of them uh, share certain features. And let me talk a little bit about those features. Uh, number one is they almost all give the ability to purchase health insurance across state lines. That would hopefully drive down the prices and would also give people more options and would allow people to get around um, heavy regulations and uh, requirements that are in certain uh, high-cost states on health care. Think uh, New York and New Jersey. Uh, the second uh, piece of most of these plans is some kind of tort reform. CBO has said the tort reform would save about 50 billion dollars over a 10-year period. Um, I think it might even save more by uh, knocking down a defensive medicine or reducing defensive medicine, which is where doctors order more tests than are necessary in order to avoid the prospect of lawsuits. A third aspect of it is um, HSAs, health savings accounts, that allow people to save money for health care over the long haul. Um, and then the fourth and I would say the, the most divergent part where um, where you'll get the least agreement among Republicans on what exactly to do here, but there is agreement that something must be done here. Um, and, and this last section is the uh, some kind of benefit to individuals in order to help purchase health insurance. Uh, it, the reason I call it some kind of benefit in an indetermined way is because some people want it to be a tax credit, some people want it to be a voucher or a check from the government, some people want it to be an exclusion that's before taxes, some people want it after taxes, some people want it refundable. There are different ways of doing it, different ways of configuring it. All of them have uh, their own advantages and disadvantages. But I look forward to this 2016 argument because whomever is selected as the Republican nominee is going to have their own health care alternative, and I think that's going to be what the party coalesces around. Okay. Let's go to, a, since we do have a few minutes remaining, let's, let's go to a few of the current ACA provisions, uh, since, since you've written on these extensively. And let me ask you, particularly let's starting with um, the employer mandate. You've written a fair amount about this in opposition to it, generally because uh, there is a tax uh, there's an individual. There's an employer uh, mandate such that em larger employers are required to provide coverage. Uh, if they don't, they have a penalty. Uh, beyond that, what explains your opposition to the employer mandate? I, I'm imposed to mandates in general, so I don't like the government telling people you must purchase insurance as an individual, uh, you must purchase it as a company. Many companies do. In fact, 169 million people get their health care from their employers. Uh, I think it's a kind of health care that people like. Uh, the majority of people who are asked about it say they like the health care they get for, from their employers. And uh, it, it seems to be more cost-effective and, um, and better health care than you can get from the, the government subsidized systems. So um, I'm not at all opposed to employers providing health care. And I, I think well, public policy, um, given that we now have the system that's largely based on employer provision of health care, should be designed to help employers to provide health care and not get in the way they're doing that. For, so with that in mind, I've written more about the, uh, the Cadillac tax, which imposes a 40% penalty on health insurance plans above a certain value. High-priced premiums, a 40% excise tax on that amount above the 
that, that price, correct? Right, the, yes. the, 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 which is about ten thousand for an individual, about twenty-seven thousand, twenty-seven five for a, a family. family. The, the the problem with it is, first of all, at forty percent over the top is is kind of a, a high penalty, and it's going to lead employers to provide lower value plans to reduce the benefits that they are offering to individuals. And over time, it's got a, a creeping nature, kind of like the alternative minimum tax, where it's billed as something that only hits the rich people. Uh, that's inherent in the nature of the title, the Cadillac tax. But over time, it hits more and more people until by 2031, it actually hits the average value health plan. So it's not really a Cadillac tax at that point. It's really a tax on benefits that come from your employer. And so so I, I, I do have a problem with that. I think employers are working very hard to kind of reduce overall costs. And some of the reduction in healthcare inflation that we saw in that in the, in the re- recent years has to do from employers trying to control their healthcare spending. But I think the, that the, uh, the Cadillac tax does it in such a way that they're going to make um, much tougher cuts in ways that the American people don't like and don't appreciate. And when uh, President Obama promises that if you like your health care, you can keep it, uh, if the consequence of the Affordable Care Act is that employers face such high taxes that they reduce the value of their health care offerings and they therefore change the plans that people have, President Obama will say, well, I didn't tell the employers to do that, but his policies effectively will have done so. So the idea of if you like your health care, you can keep it will not be an accurate statement. So let, let, me, let me push you on this a bit and say that um, the Cadillac tax, first of all, um, although this doesn't take an effect till 18, it's already had an effect on employers because the revenue that this would generate has come down substantially uh, over the 10-year budget window. Last I looked... Uh, CBO projects it to raise 87 by 2025, and that's down 41 percent. Down from over 120 billion. Right, right. So it's down 41 percent. Um, but as an excise tax, it's de facto eliminating the employer-based tax exclusion. Now, this was a, at one time a Republican proposal, which was to no longer allow employer premiums. Uh, to be exempt from taxes. Um, so where are you on the issue, um, again, more generally, on the tax exclusion? And considering this is one of the largest tax benefits uh, under the U.S. tax code. I think the tax exclusion is what keeps employers in employer-sponsored care, and if you were to take it away, then uh, you would no longer see employers in the game. And you, you might want that, um, and perhaps if you were designing a system from scratch, that may be where you started it. But uh, that is not where we are right now. And I don't think the American people would like to see that. In fact, uh, President Obama hammered Senator McCain on this idea back in 2008 and and made the strong defense of the employer-sponsored system. So I I recognize that there's a lot of revenue lost due to this uh, tax exclusion, and and I I, I don't necessarily have a problem with some limit on it, but I think a 40% uh, excise tax at those at the, those levels is inappropriate and, and not helpful. In fact, could be harmful. The uh, just to make note, the um, Senator Burr Coburn Hatch uh, Care Act plan does have a cap on the tax exclusion. So this is even debated within uh, Republican circles. Sure, but that's a cap and not a penalty, right? So if an employer wants to continue to provide health care, they're not getting tax benefits for it, but they're not getting penalized for it. And I think that makes more sense. Well, only a certain percent of the money they spend on tax on insurance premiums are are exempt. So uh, it's a partial uh, exclusion. 
Um, we have time for probably one more question. Let's go to Medicaid. You've written a fair amount about Medicaid, and Medicaid, of course, was uh, the surprise ruling last go-around with the Supreme Court. You make note of the Rhode Island waiver. Uh, where do you think the Republican Party uh, will move on Medicaid reform? Yeah, I'm, I'm very worried about Medicaid. Um, it, it's the largest aggregate item in all state spending. It's about 25% of state budgets overall in, in the aggregate. And it crowds out other state spending on roads, on um, public safety, on education. Higher education. One of the reasons why you can't necessarily get a an affordable uh, tuition from your usually pretty good state schools these days. So uh, I, I think we need to do some real thinking about uh, Medicaid and how to reform it down the road. Uh, unfortunately, under the Affordable Care Act, the bulk of the people covered are in the Medicaid system now. In the first couple of years, the federal government is paying the bulk of that first 100% to 90%. But over time, I don't think that's sustainable. I think the uh, overall, the usual fe- the Medicaid match rate is about 56% is shared by the, the federal government. The rest goes to the states. And uh, I think the um, the ACA expansion uh, costs are over time going to migrate more to the states, and the states I don't think can handle it. So, so I think there need to be some changes. Uh, I, I think Republican plans there, there's some variation among them, but they, they basically have the, the same idea, which is give states more flexibility to pledge to cover X number of people, whatever the, the requirements are for that state that the federal government wants to impose, but let them do that in the way they see fit. And in doing so, uh, perhaps they can do it at less cost and uh, and, and save money. Okay. Well, with that. Sorry to say, Tevi, we're at our time boundary, so let me thank you for your comments. Appreciate it. Uh, thanks for having me, and I would love to just uh, say to all the students listening out there, including my nephew Aaron Troy, that uh, it's, it will serve you well to be listening to this podcast and to follow health policy. You have just heard another edition of the Healthcare Policy Podcast hosted by David Intricasso. To comment on this program or others, to see information about upcoming interviews, to suggest a program topic, or to hear an archive program, please visit our website, thehealthcarepolicypodcast.com. Thank you for listening, and please listen again soon.